part one of chapter one of supplements to the first book first half the doctrine of the idea of perception from the world as will and idea volume two by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine the doctrine of the idea of perception chapter one the standpoint of idealism part one warum willst du dich von uns allen und unserer meinung entfernen ich schreibe nicht euch zu gefallen ihr sollt was lernen goethe in boundless space countless shining spheres about each of which and illuminated by its light there revolve a dozen or so of smaller ones hot at the core and covered with a hard cold crust upon whose surface there have been generated from a mouldy film beings which live and know this is what presents itself to us in experience as the truth the real the world yet for a thinking being it is a precarious position to stand upon one of those numberless spheres moving freely in boundless space without knowing whence or whither and to be only one of innumerable similar beings who throng and press and toil ceaselessly and quickly arising and passing away in time which has no beginning and no end moreover nothing permanent but matter alone and the recurrence of the same varied organized forms by means of certain ways and channels which are there once for all all that empirical science can teach is only the more exact nature and law of these events but now at last modern philosophy especially through berkeley and kant has called to mind that all this is first of all merely a phenomenon of the brain and is affected with such great so many and such different subjective conditions that its supposed absolute reality vanishes away and leaves room for an entirely different scheme of the world which consists of what lies at the foundation of that phenomenon that is what is related to it as the thing in itself is related to its mere manifestation the world is my idea is like the axioms of euclid a proposition which every one must recognize as true as soon as he understands it although it is not a proposition which every one understands as soon as he hears it to have brought this proposition to clear consciousness and in it the problem of the relation of the ideal and the real that is of the world in the head to the world outside the head together with the problem of moral freedom is the distinctive feature of modern philosophy for it was only after men had spent their labour for thousands of years upon a mere philosophy of the object that they discovered that among the many things that make the world so obscure and doubtful the first and chiefest is this that however immeasurable and massive it may be its existence yet hangs by a single thread and this is the actual consciousness in which it exists this condition to which the existence of the world is irrevocably subject marks it in spite of all empirical reality with the stamp of ideality and therefore of mere phenomenal appearance thus on one side at least the world must be recognized as akin to dreams and indeed to be classified along with them for the same function of the brain which during sleep conjures up before us a completely objective perceptible 
and even palpable world must have just as large a share in the presentation of the objective world of waking life both worlds although different as regards their matter are yet clearly moulded in the one form this form is the intellect the function of the brain descartes was probably the first who attained to the degree of reflection which this fundamental truth demands and consequently he made it the starting point of his philosophy though provisionally only in the form of a sceptical doubt when he took his cogito ergo sum as alone certain and provisionally regarded the existence of the world as problematical he really discovered the essential and only right starting point of all philosophy and at the same time its true foundation this foundation is essentially and inevitably the subjective the individual consciousness for this alone is and remains immediate everything else whatever it may be is mediated and conditioned through it and is therefore dependent upon it therefore modern philosophy is rightly regarded as starting with descartes who was the father of it not long afterwards berkeley followed the same path further and attained to idealism proper that is to the knowledge that the world which is extended in space thus the objective material world in general exists as such simply and solely in our idea and that it is false and indeed absurd to attribute to it as such an existence apart from all idea and independent of the knowing subject thus to assume matter as something absolute and possessed of real being in itself but his correct and profound insight into this truth really constitutes berkeley's whole philosophy in it he had exhausted himself thus true philosophy must always be idealistic indeed it must be so in order to be merely honest for nothing is more certain than that no man ever came out of himself in order to identify himself directly with things which are different from him but everything of which he has certain and therefore immediate knowledge lies within his own consciousness beyond this consciousness therefore there can be no immediate certainty but the first principles of a science must have such certainty for the empirical standpoint of the other sciences it is quite right to assume the objective world as something absolutely given but not so for the standpoint of philosophy which has to go back to what is first and original only consciousness is immediately given therefore the basis of philosophy is limited to facts of consciousness that is it is essentially idealistic realism which commends itself to the crude understanding by the appearance which it assumes of being matter-of-fact really starts from an arbitrary assumption and is therefore an empty castle in the air for it ignores or denies the first of all facts that all that we know lies within consciousness for that the objective existence of things is conditioned through a subject whose ideas they are and consequently that the objective world exists only as idea is no hypothesis and still less a dogma or even a paradox set up for the sake of discussion but it is the most certain and the simplest truth and the knowledge of it is only made difficult by the fact that it is indeed so simple and that it is not every one who has sufficient power of reflection to go back to the first elements of his consciousness of things there can never be an absolute and independent objective existence indeed such an existence is quite unintelligible for the objective as such 
always and essentially has its existence in the consciousness of a subject is thus the idea of this subject and consequently is conditioned by it and also by its forms the forms of the idea which depend upon the subject and not on the object that the objective world would exist even if there existed no conscious being certainly seems at the first blush to be unquestionable because it can be thought in the abstract without bringing to light the contradiction which it carries within it but if we desire to realize this abstract thought that is to reduce it to ideas of perception from which alone like everything abstract it can have content and truth and if accordingly we try to imagine an objective world without a knowing subject we become aware that what we then imagine is in truth the opposite of what we intended is in fact nothing else than the process in the intellect of a knowing subject who perceives an objective world is thus exactly what we desired to exclude for this perceptible and real world is clearly a phenomenon of the brain therefore there lies a contradiction in the assumption that as such it ought also to exist independently of all brains the principal objection to the inevitable and essential ideality of all objects the objection which distinctly or indistinctly arises in every one is certainly this my own person also is an object for someone else is thus his idea and yet i know certainly that i would continue to exist even if he no longer perceived me but all other objects also stand in the same relation to his intellect as i do consequently they also would continue to exist without being perceived by him the answer to this is that other being as whose object i now regard my person is not absolutely the subject but primarily is a knowing individual therefore if he no longer existed nay even if there existed no other conscious being except myself yet the subject in whose idea alone all objects exist would by no means be on that account abolished for i myself indeed am this subject as every conscious being is consequently in the case assumed my person would certainly continue to exist but also as idea in my own knowledge for even by me myself it is always known only indirectly never immediately because all existence as idea is indirect as object that is as extended occupying space and acting i know my body only in the perception of my brain this takes place by means of the senses upon data supplied by which the percipient understanding performs its function of passing from effect to cause and thereby in that the eye sees the body or the hands touch it it constructs that extended figure which presents itself in space as my body by no means however is there directly given me either in some general feeling of bodily existence or in inner self-consciousness any extension form or activity which would then coincide with my nature itself which accordingly in order so to exist would require no other being in whose knowledge it might exhibit itself on the contrary that general feeling of bodily existence and also self-consciousness exists directly only in relation to the will that is as agreeable or disagreeable and as active in the acts of will which for external perception exhibit themselves as actions of the body from this it follows that the existence of my person or body as something extended and acting 
always presupposes a knowing being distinct from it because it is essentially an existence in apprehension in the idea thus an existence for another in fact it is a phenomenon of brain just as much whether the brain in which it exhibits itself is my own or belongs to another person in the first case one's own person divides itself into the knowing and the known into object and subject which here as everywhere stand opposed to each other inseparable and irreconcilable if then my own person in order to exist as such always requires a knowing subject this will at least as much hold good of the other objects for which it was the aim of the above objection to vindicate an existence independent of knowledge and its subject however it is evident that the existence which is conditioned through a knowing subject is only the existence in space and therefore that of an extended and active being this alone is always something known and consequently an existence for another on the other hand every being that exists in this way may yet have an existence for itself for which it requires no subject yet this existence for itself cannot be extension and activity together space occupation but is necessarily a being of another kind that of a thing in itself which as such can never be an object this then would be the answer to the leading objection set forth above which accordingly does not overthrow the fundamental truth that the objectively given world can only exist in the idea thus only for a subject we have further to remark here that kant also so long at least as he remained consistent can have thought no objects among his things in themselves for this follows from the fact that he proves that space and also time are mere forms of our perception which consequently do not belong to things in themselves what is neither in space nor in time can be no object thus the being of things in themselves cannot be objective but of quite a different kind a metaphysical being consequently that kantian principle already involves this principle also that the objective world exists only as idea in spite of all that one may say nothing is so persistently and ever anew misunderstood as idealism because it is interpreted as meaning that one denies the empirical reality of the external world upon this rests the perpetual return to the appeal to common sense which appears in many forms and guises for example as an irresistible conviction in the scotch school or as jacobi's faith in the reality of the external world the external world by no means presents itself as jacobi declares upon credit and is accepted by us upon trust and faith it presents itself as that which it is and performs directly what it promises it must be remembered that jacobi who set up such a credit or faith theory of the world and had the fortune to impose it upon a few professors of philosophy who for thirty years have philosophized upon the same lines lengthily and at their ease is the same man who once denounced lessing as a spinozist and afterwards denounced schelling as an atheist and who received from the latter the well-known and well-deserved castigation in keeping with such zeal when he reduced the external world to a mere matter of faith he only wished to open the door to faith in general and to prepare belief for that which was afterwards really to be made a matter of belief as if in order to introduce a paper currency one should seek to appeal to the fact that the value of the ringing coin also depends merely on the stamp 
which the state has set upon it jacobi in his doctrine that the reality of the external world is assumed upon faith is just exactly the transcendental realist who plays the empirical idealist censured by kant in the critique of pure reason first edition page three hundred sixty nine end of chapter one part one recording by expatriate in bangor maine